Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing, carefully consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Co. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. The NBA playoffs are here. And we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence. Playoff crowds are going wild. Playoff players are lighting up the court. Even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch. Because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. Today, we're talking about steel frames in the second of a series on road bike frame materials. I'm joined today by Warren Rossiter, our senior road tech editor, my fellow senior road tech editor. Warren, how are you today? I'm all good, thanks. Good. What have you been up to recently? Um, in a bit of serendipity, um, for the last few days, I've been riding an all-new steel gravel bike that happens to be under embargo, so I can't talk that much more about it, but ah. it's nice to uh, get out on the material we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, good, good. And um, well, we've just in the Northern Hemisphere here, the weather's been a little bit... Uh, a little bit shaky recently. Has it been a bit muddy out there on a, on a gravel bike? It's been extremely muddy. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's not something I don't think you'd describe it as gravel. I think I've been out on you know a few days of uh, sludge rides. I think you call it. Okay. Well, uh, good. Well, today uh, we've got uh, well, I'd say cycling royalty in the house, um, and it's my great pleasure to introduce the founder of one of the most well-known brands in all of cycling, Tom Ritchie. Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm good. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, indeed. Good morning, indeed. From, uh, what, what time is it over there where you're dialing into us from? Uh, we're we're uh, 8 a.m. in sunny Santa Barbara. Just had two glorious days of rain, which we really needed. Lovely. And about two, and about two inches, which is uh, almost a record for the last year. Um, so today we'll get out. We'll have a great ride. And... Uh, 
and commence with uh, yeah more good weather for the for for at least the for foreseeable future. Good, good. Um, I should explain. Um, yeah, uh, we are eight hours ahead over here, aren't we, in the UK? So it's around about four o'clock in the afternoon where we're recording. So uh, yeah, good. just woken up over there, and uh, I'm just I'm just winding down for the end of the day over here. I think. Yeah. Um, go on, Tom. Yeah, good. Time for a beer. <laughs> Time for a beer. Exactly. <laughs> very soon. Very soon. Um, but look, we're we're honoured to have you uh, join us today, Tom. Um, because as I said, I think I think you are what I would call a true cycling royalty. You know, just a glance at your achievements and 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 your company's sort of history and achievements in cycling sort of speaks volumes. Um, I could go into them. I'm sure we'll touch upon a few of them in our, in our conversation right now. But um, you know, um, you are you know your your company is, is super famous for, and I suppose you have a, a long history in in steel manufacture. That's why we're here. It's what we what we want to talk about. Um, but you know, I want to I want to start with first of all. You know, steel is sort of the most venerable um, of all bike frame materials. Um, you know, could you just tell us a little bit about the hi- the history from the way the way you see it and how long how long steel has been around for in the bike industry? Uh, uh, that's a long, long answer. Um, I, you know, when I first started using steel, of course it was the only material and they're really, uh, I don't even know if I even noticed any, any other material other than steel back in the early seventies, there probably was, there probably was a, you know, kind of a, uh, an effort with aluminum at some level and, I'm not sure people even tried started to play around with titanium. Um, I'm not sure how far back that goes. I do remember visiting Columbus factory um, as uh, as my success grew, and Antonio Colombo invited me over in 1984. And I do remember him showing me a document on the wall of a butted tube section and the specifications from turn of the century. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was, I was struck by that and thinking the budding process, the material, the drawing of a tube, the heat treating of the tube was all conceptualized, you know, be- before the turn of the century. And it seems like executed, which, which was an amazing thing for me to for for me to think about, just in terms of 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 you know proposing changes to something that had been around so long, and that was the purpose of my visit to Columbus was was to introduce the idea of logic tubing to them and why it was unique, why it was important, what what was my thinking behind it, and explain to them uh, some of my early ideas on changing steel tubing so when you you're, you're talking about logic tubing for for those um for those of our listeners that that might not be familiar with it um the idea as i take it i mean it's something that that i was remembering once we'd managed to uh secure this chat um because i remember sort of uh when you launched the i think it was the p23 you know legendary mountain bike in the that beautiful red white and blue fade and it had the logic tube in. And when I think I read an interview with you in, uh, I think it might be Mountain Bike Action or something like that. And you were talking about logic tubing um, as the first tube set that was designed specifically around TIG welding rather than 
um, using a lug construction. So um, it'd probably be really, really good to explain to our to our listeners what all the differences in those frame constructions were. I mean, because obviously you were, you know, a legendary Philip Razor, but now the modern Richie steel bikes are all TIG, I guess. People are probably, you know, scratching their head right now because everything is progressed way beyond the use of lugs and the use of standard diameters and the use of conventional tubing. And they, they probably don't know those, those, uh, those dates that things changed and why they changed and all that, all that kind of period of time, um, is, I, I get, I get comments that people, people forward me and they, they've got it all confused in a lot of, in a lot of the discussion boards that I read. But basically, um, the world that I grew up in, the world that, that I was, that I was starting to kind of think about playing with at 15 years old was only lugs. It was only conventional diameters. And it was only uh, budding from a very, uh, in a very basic way that 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 was designed to almost have a furnace braze uh, designed for furnace brazing, rather than um, rather than you know what we would think of as high end frame building. And so the the sections of of the butt, um, butted area and the need for, uh, those sections to be so long and other things really had to do with the previous 70, less 80, 90 years, a hundred years of, of frame building that had never really played around much with any new way of, of building a frame. And so, um, you know, England and Italy and the world, you know, the world's leading frame make- makers were pretty much just all building in lockstep and uniformity fashioned from one generation to the other and to the other and the other. And I was, I was kind of an upstart in, in terms of being the son of an engineer and influenced by People around me that in Silicon Valley, kind of in a classic Silicon Valley technology mindset, we're thinking about doing other things. We're thinking about doing new things, whether it be, you know, electronics or mechanical and many other, many other ways. And I'm sure that, you know, there were other people experimenting too, but the world didn't have YouTube. It didn't have, um, didn't have ways in which people just had instant awareness of other people's efforts. So for the most part, uh, you just lived in these information silos with very little interaction, very, yeah, very few people knowing what was, what was going on in another another part of the world or another mindset. And at the same time, California was coming into its own in terms of a hotbed for American cycling, and when you combine the beauty, kind of the, the, the well, the all the all the best races were in California at that time. All the best riders were in California in this in this early seventies. 
the national teams, the Olympic teams, um, the technology side was was in my backyard too. I lived in Palo Alto at the time, and uh, and just the just the uh, just the upstart mindset of people that were, as I said, just we didn't know what we didn't know in terms of in terms of how frames were built and why. We just knew that that it didn't seem to be, in my sake and in my father's sake, uh, it just didn't seem to be optimized. So um, at an early age, I built my first frame and realized um, that, that there's things that could be improved. I, it was obvious to me. And after repairing my first bike at 15, which was a, a Chinelli that I got for $50 because it had a broken seat stay and realizing that um, the reason why it broke, broke was because it was overheated. And uh, it, you know, I hardly ever see a seat stay break in my, in my years of building. So there was, you know, there was things that it looked, it looked like, and from myself and my dad's perspective, Poor workmanship or just casual, just average workmanship probably is a better way of putting it. And, and, uh, the bike, unfortunately, or fortunately for my sake, was at my doorstep for a very reasonable price for a 15 year old. And I ended up repairing it and finding myself in the community of racers as I started to ride more and more and found myself, um, just needing, wanting to upgrade. And, uh, and then eventually, um, after I built a number of frames in 1973 for my riding buddy and other racers and friends and, you know, just kind of as a hobby kind of mindset, but charging some money for it, but really not charging a lot. Um, I thought to myself, there's, there's, there's some other things that I want to do. And, um, the, um, uh, the nice thing about steel is that it, it is that if you are not handcuffed by the concept of lugs and what, and what a lug, um, what the what lugs the positives of lugs and the negatives of lugs you're not handcuffed by the by the negatives of lugs which are angles diameters um you could play off in your own playland if you had a way of joining the tubes and of course no one was tig welding at that time either other than um you know other industries and in, and in the world of bmx which was just beginning too so BMX was not really taken that seriously. It was really, uh, you know, um, almost a counterculture. You know, the the people that wore their pants on backwards, and and uh, you know, <laughs> anyway, it was it was just it was just a different world. And so the influence of BMX was was really only one way. It was and in the influence of road cycling and and people that wanted technology was in a completely different different way. So the idea um, of of constructing frames differently required me to think about 
the use of different filler materials, making my own lugs, omitting the lugs, ovalizing tubes, using larger diameter tubes, all the above, in order to fabricate something that was lighter, stronger, and uh, and more of a unique construction. And so that was that was my be- beginning outside the box in in the um, um, in the in the pursuit of of uh, of new ways of using steel. And the and I'd say that the the, the good thing for me is is that it wasn't titanium and it wasn't aluminum. It was steel at that time. And steel, uh, you were able to do things and form things and ovalize things and and fabricate things and make your own uh, dropouts and fork crowns and and uh, and bottom brackets and other things that uh, um, that made it possible for you to to really um, to really experiment in a in a very, I would say. Uh, strong environment of well-known and well-identified ways of, of succeeding. So I know that's a long answer. No, no, it's, it's fascinating to see how you, how you progressed into in moving across in, into TIG welding. Cause I think, you know, um, now we're living. Well, in- well, it, it's really not TIG welding. Logic tube, logic tubing was designed for fillet brazing. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of look less. Brain, lugless, yeah, Yeah. and really, TIG welding hadn't really had had much of an impact at the time that I went over to Columbus in 1985. It was still lugs, yeah, and so obviously the difference being with a a lugged frame and a um, a fillet braised or or TIG frame is a a lug. You're kind of restricted by by lugs, which are effectively sockets that you you plug a tube into. Whereas you had a bit more freedom if you were using a effectively tube to tube construction because you could play with angles, you could play with geometry, and you know, is that what really attracted you to? You know, was it a way to make things different? It probably more applicable to the way that you changed the geometry of mountain bikes, you know, because it, it was it, it, with something that seemed like it was more necessary in in as as mountain biking um, evolved, as it were. Yeah, there was no there was. There was very little experimenting in the beginning of mountain bikes, or the beginning of what you would call ballooners and clunkers. It was, it was taking you know junkyard, scrapyard bikes, and for the most part, most part, hanging some different components on them, and then uh, maybe brazing some special cantilever studs on a on a on a on a frame, and and uh, and some a derailleur hanger and things like that that didn't that weren't on those original clunkers and then figuring out you know as things blew up as things broke you know where the weak points are and the and the places that needed needed uh you know needed improvement but those were those bikes were primarily downhill bikes they weren't really what my interest was and and so i didn't try to make a stronger downhill bike like joe did in his first bike, I didn't, uh, to me, that wasn't, that wasn't the, the focus of, of my mind, of the, my cycling and, and my business, which was, which was off running very well at all. Before I built my first mountain, 
bike. I built almost a thousand road and touring and tandem and track bikes and other kinds of bikes. So, so my, my focus was performance racing, lightweight, uh, and, and I was very established as a, as a builder that could build without lugs. And which meant that I could build tandems, which meant that I could build 32 inch bikes for a basketball player, which meant that I could build mini bikes for women that were uh, under five feet tall, that no one could build a a bike for a short person that's at, uh, that's at stand over, over height because lugs, lugs confined you to really make the smallest bike, which was about a 19 inch bike. And so I was, I was, I was building solutions for a sector of cycling that that was was not common to the to the frame builder at that time, and I was doing it because um, because I I I'd figured out a number of tricks that had to do with the com- in the beginning a combination of using lugs and lugless. And then I became more and more comfortable just building entirely lugless. So all be all be I'm sorry, all be four no. mountain bikes. So that's just that's just a side note. It's a beefy side note for sure. Um, but you you know when when we talk about that you know the different tubes and when you're you, you know you're welding or you know you're putting these tubes together with you know in a lugless form. Are you playing around with the different, um, you know, the different sort of grades of of, of tubing? Um, you know, a lot of people will will sort of when you're listening to this, will we'll probably be we recognise, you know, you know, Reynolds eight five three versus nine five one tubing, that kind of that kind of thing. You know, though, though, are, are there you was only like, there was only Reynolds five thirty one. Five thirty one. There was okay. Yeah. There was there was no. I mean, there was really only two flavors of ice cream at that time, yeah. and that was that was Columbus and SL or SP, and there was Reynolds five thirty one and two also two different two different weights based on the wall thickness of the tube, and um, and there was of course a little bit of a little bit of Japanese tubing Ishiwata. Um, that was, you know, uh, becoming, uh, s- some people were becoming aware of the bike that I just sent you pictures of, uh, and my father's bike from 74 were made with, uh, mostly Ishiwata and they, they had, um, good material in Japan. They had, they had, uh, they had developed, um, some very nice wall thicknesses for lighter bikes and, and, but they were mainly, you know, um, just straight, uh, they weren't heat treated bikes. They were, they were, um, drawn, they were, you know, seamless tubing, seamless chromoly drawn mandrel bikes or frame tubing, uh, without heat treatment. So yeah. your answers are absolutely fantastic because they're they're sort of dipping into all the different questions that we we kind of thought on a that we'd like to ask you. So it, we're sort of navigating our way around it a little bit. So when we're when we're talking, then we we had only a few sort of as you say flavors of of steel material in the past. Um, it's it's fair to say then if we I I would I would think that if we've got all the different kinds of um, tu- tubing that we have nowadays. 
steel is still moving forward right in terms of uh, uh, in terms of its development and and what you can you know the characteristics you can tune out of a bike would that be fair to say it it's uh it's it's a little more complicated than that um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just showing my lack of knowledge now you see so i'm really interested to hear why <laughs> yeah yeah well it you know it, it uh, steel I would say died a slow death in the nineties. Mm -hmm. I ended up, I ended up having a container full of, of wonderful, uh, Japanese heat treated, uh, tubing made by Tange and, and even Italian tubing that was all made to my spec by, by data chai and ended up scrapping, <laughs> A, a, a sad, sad amount of it, was just because, because there was for it. there was there. So the best tubing in my the best quality and manufacturing specs of tubing were 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 made after the eighties or between the between the period of of uh, of aluminum and carbon fiber. I mean, this is this is a raw material story. It's a it's a manufacturing story. It's it. and so so you know companies like Tange they died, yeah. and they they went away, and and so they had the technology. The Japanese have always been on top of the technology. Um, the Italians just went at Columbus. They they also they didn't die. Um, but they but they lost their focus on steel steel uh was 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 a was a secondary material to the aluminum that they were making at that time and the popularity of aluminum and so basically they lost somewhat the formula in the same way that, that in the same way that uh, the ancients lost the formula of concrete after they after they made amazing structures like the Parthenon. Yeah. Um, and we only, we only figured it out in the sixties that the formula had to do with volcanic ash and these other things that were, that were part of, uh, their secret sauce. Um, there is a, there, there still is, um, there's good people just trying to keep, trying to keep the quality going in, in every sector. But, the focus right now, unfortunately, is in uh, is in is in you know uh, is in the world of 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 of, manu of of I would say production production carbon manufacturing and and that's where the money is. That's where the the focus is. That's where the you know the yeah. I mean, it's. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of great product that's made out of carbon, but for the in in terms of going to the going to the well, and I mean True Tempers, I mean I, I could just go down the list. True, Reynolds went out of business. True Temper went out of business, and Columbus lost focus. Um, Tangay went out of business, uh, and they really haven't come back with players that are focused on the same level of quality. Mm. that uh that that they were in the 80s so the 80s 
the 80s was the in my opinion the 80s was the golden age of 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 steel man of, of raw material of steel raw material and um i know i never even never even you know put this out there in 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 an interview and and discuss this and it's probably you know not worth a lot of your time to even go down this road with me but um you know there's there's a lot of people that will that will just roll their eyes like what's he talking about <laughs> but i could i could i could give you hours and hours of content on the evolution of steel i know it i know it from its from a in a very personal way i know it as <laughs> as an equal opportunity supplier to not just not just my company but the, the world and what it was like to build solutions for the steel as steel was coming into the into the into the into the era of maximum experimentation and technology and then quickly to die and the death of steel is the one of the best best stories out there and it is it is it is the reason why i ended up with a future and ended up having to navigate a new world a new cycling industry and that navigation was all about marketing it wasn't about technology it was about marketing yeah and if you want to hear that in as quick of a soundbite as I can give you, I'll give it to you. We'll probably have to book you again for that, I reckon. <laughs> okay, well, you can... It's, it's, really, <laughs> it's really the beginning of the story and the end of the story. And, and, and the story still exists. And unfortunately, sure. yeah. for the average uh, person, we've, we've, you know, we've, we've circled the toilet bowl enough times with steel that it's popped out that there's actually a future to it. Yeah, and and there's now um, there's now people that are that are becoming newly uh, aware of the of its of its uniqueness and its value, even though the material, even though the raw material itself has not caught up with the '70s or the '80s mm. in terms of its in terms of its heat treatment and its original um, original compilation composition wrong word um it still has tremendous intrinsic value yeah no one is out there promoting spokes that are made out of anything but steel no one is out there you know promoting axles and other things that that have or bearings or cables or or you know all kinds of things that are still about steel because steel replaces everything in terms of 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 reliability in 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 a in a holistic sense and in a minute sense and it's still that way going to the mar going to mars going to the moon whatever it is <laughs> there's still certain things that aren't going to be replaced by any other way than steel no they can hope all they can gone sorry yeah they can hope all they want and there are people that are going to hope all they're going to hope other materials into 
into the into our future but they are not tried true and tested and and yeah proven out uh and uh even even at a sparano expense economy that we're we're living in in some in some ways of yeah. course the average person doesn't experience the the spare no expense part of this equation and to me I'm, i've always been a been a utility minded guy and i'm i'm sympathetic toward the person that doesn't have money in their pocket just like me when i was 14 years old and bought my chinelli for 50 dollars that was broken sure i try to carry that into everything i think about in terms of a practical sense in use of material and um and the way that the way that I, I I the roads that I go down and the way that I think is is based on bang for buck, uh, and 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 there's 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 a lot of reasons why, you know, um, there's, yeah, there's 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 a lot of reasons I'm kind of the creature that I am, and and uh, and most people who know me well enough just just uh, you know, look at, look at, I mean, they have carbon bikes, they have other kinds of bikes and, and, uh, they have steel bikes and, and, um, it's not like I'm against any material because I use them all. Um, but there are some foundational kind of, uh, materials that to me, uh, have, have, have the, have the basic building blocks of making, uh, making affordability and reliability and repairability and other things, rideability, you know, a big one is rideability. And, um, and that's, and that's kind of the beachhead that I've, that I've decided to, to camp at, um, for the most part, my whole career. But it's funny. It, it's funny you say. I can hear sort of the reverence in your voice around steel and and the respect you have for the material and and, and so on. You, you can absolutely tell that. And as a, a you know, content with sort of my my experience in the past year, I've I bought myself a steel frame bike, um, and in the time that I've owned it, everything you say to me, and this isn't a self fulfilling prophecy where you buy something you want to justify your purchase. You know, I I looked at the market. I saw for, for a personal thing. I saw a bike that I thought looks great, looks kind of classic in a classical sense, but you know, reviews really well around the industry. Has its own proponents and so on, and its own supporters. So I thought I'll give that a go, and it was great value for money. And it, it's it, as I say, as we record in our podcast studio here in Bristol in the UK, it's downstairs now. It's waiting for me to ride home today. And I can't wait to ride it because it's a fantastic, <coughs> fantastic bike. Uh, bless mm. you. Uh, Sorry about yeah, that. That's all right. Um, but it's you know it's a fantastic bike, and um, you mm. know from my point of view, when I look at steel bikes, I sort of see I see a, a material with a long, long history, but I also see a material that still has untapped potential. When you say you know we're not in the in the heyday anymore of of steel manufacture, is it possible that small boutique brands could you know, um, you know, with with certain tubing and so on, um, you know, your, yourself included, bring us back to that step. Do you think there's an appetite for that at all? Uh, there's, you know, there's an appetite up to a certain point. Yeah. Um, but to me, steel represents a great value bike, like what you were talking about with the with your choice. 
it doesn't it doesn't represent you know the the pinnacle of lightweight and other things that seem to have you know basically take taken the attention to only other solutions mm. and um and so without the money to to with, without the practical um you know, this is a very, <laughs> this, is, this is an anti-business conversation. If, you, if, it, if, <laughs> That's okay. if we could have one, uh, you know, without the, so my, my, my executive staff and all always kind of wags their finger at me when I start going down this road because they think, Tom, we got to make money. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so there's, you know, there's, um, there's more, um, so anyway, it, there's there's so many different directions I could I could start going down. The um, I would say the bottom line is is that is that steel is a wonderful material for a lot of different reasons. One of them, it doesn't require a mold mm. for the most part. The, the tubes don't require a mold. The, the the cost of tooling. So the the nice thing about steel and the benefit to Richie and the, be, the benefit to me since the '80s is I could go to a tubing company and this. You know, I'm not trying to just toot my horn, but I was the first to go to a tubing company mm. and ask them to make my tubes. Yeah. No one, I mean, there were a lot of different tubing companies around the world and no one had ever come along and, and with any kind of, you know, ballsy confidence said, you guys are doing it all wrong and I want to do this differently. And, um, uh, would you be interested in making my tubing exactly this way, which is about as foreign to you as it is, you know, um, carbon the fiber at the time. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was, you know, so the, the idea that you could come and, and and they weren't saying, well, yeah, Mr. Ritchie, well, we'll do that for you for $50,000 a tube or whatever it was. Mm. The cost of making my own mandrels and, and asking them within their own process, and that's what I did in the early days is I walked in factory floors. I walked in them all over the world. I saw their process, and I said to myself, no one is taking this wonderful you know, high quality, high level of manufacturing process and making anything new. No. And whether it be the budding process or the forging process or whatever process it was that I was looking at that had a, that had a unique uh, opportunity to, to make things better, stronger, lighter, faster, all those kind of things. Um, I was the, I, I'm not trying to brag, but I was the first guy to walk in a factory and do it mm. all over the world. I was the first guy to go to DT Switzerland in 1989 after developing logic tubing and, and, and say to this 300 year old company, you guys are making spokes all wrong. If you made them this way, we'd have the next generation of, of, of spokes. And they were under a different ownership at a different time. And they said, yes. It had something to do with the introduction of Yopes Brandt, who knew the people, and had just written a book 
and they were in good relationship with. And Yopes heard my idea and, and gave me the invitation. And so while I was touring Switzerland, I, I dropped in on Burn and the DT factory and I, I met with them and, and, uh, and I said, you know, there's, there's a way that I'm, I'm making steel tubing that's different and it would work for spokes. And I think that uh, if you could accomplish this, we could have the best spokes in the world. And they were already making the best spokes in the world. They didn't have to say yes to Tom Ritchie, but they did. <laughs> and and so to so to me, it was just a unique moment in time where you know the world was going down the the cycling world and the way that things things were being, um, I, I would say. Uh, deemed successful and not successful in other ways um, were all happening before my eyes. And I was at the right place at the right time. And I was doing it with racers. I was doing it with my own, uh, you know, desire to, to, to go into, uh, into business at a higher level to set up, um, set up my operations, both in Asia and in Switzerland and and um, and and start taking on the world in in ways that that you know people were only kind of looking over their shoulder. What's this Richie guy doing? The NBA playoffs are here, and we all know playoff mode is a thing. Listen to the evidence: playoff crowds are going wild, playoff players are lighting up the court, even your speakers are in playoff mode. Okay, we'll take it down a notch, but just a notch, because this is the Turn It Up to 11 NBA Playoffs. Playoff mode is clearly a thing. The NBA Playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. So do you think then that the the sort of slow slow death, uh, as you say, of, of steel back then, do you think that was due to... A lack of the want of innovation, aside from guys like yourself, where you had these new, the newer materials coming in. I'm talking aluminium, early days of carbon, even titanium. But those guys were just a little bit more wanting to push the boundaries, wanting to find out what this new material could do. You know, obviously, because steel framed bicycles have been around since the conception of the bicycle. Do you think that it got complacent? Uh, you're backing me into a corner again, where I'm going to have to <laughs> tell. I'm going to have to tell you my story. <laughs> that's okay if you if you really want me to tell you the marketing story and the reason why everything changed in 1990 or 1989 i'll tell it to you I, and that I is your opinion on it yeah, okay definitely. all right so along comes all these upstart companies in the united states and so the united states is on is on the crest of the wave in terms of of, uh, of of the bike industry and uh, people's focus and looking at Lamont, looking at um, the 7-Eleven team in the in the mid '80s, and the way that the way that 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 so the so the so the key players in that world were not the Europeans. They, there was mainly two or three players. There was Trek and Specialized, and then comes Cannondale. And Cannondale did things different. And they did things in a big way, literally. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And they did things all aluminum. And 
the mountain bike was a big was was a big focus of not needing steel for these companies cuz basically the whole the whole kind of you know thinking with 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 uh with steel um was based on um was based on a, on the road success um you know the, all the all the all the eight, the 90s 80s and even into early 90s uh best riders in the world were all on steel and they they didn't have an aluminum focus at all there was there was hardly any aluminum well there was but it was very little the riders didn't want it um the riders wanted steel. And so that had a lot to do with basically where the attention w on the pro side was going. But with the advent of carbon and, uh, and, and titanium and materials, basically materials, there, there just became this scramble egg. Well, Cannondale comes out with a down tube that's like three inches. It's as big as a Coke can. And they didn't have engineering really in their blood they, but they had they had fabric manufacturing capabilities right there in Pennsylvania on the east coast and so they weren't west coast they were east coast but they were they were they the montgomerys were really smart and they knew they knew kind of you know what they were doing from a manufacturing perspective and the and the market was gullible. The market liked the idea of a big look aluminum bike. I'm talking the general market, not the racers. Yeah. The general market. There was, you know, there was some racers, but they didn't really know what they were. I mean, basically the titan uh, or the um, the time trial uh, or not the time trial. I'm sorry, the the, um, the triathlon crowd and some others. But there there was a lot of of uh, a lot of factions within the cycling world that 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 were going really well including mountain bikes and um and upstart activities like triathlon and, and other things that really uh, weren't following the trends Greg LeMond and his tour successes or the 711 team and um and so Cannondale basically <clears throat> um was developing quite a war chest because their manufacturing costs were so low that they were able to make the same frame chassis from almost top to bottom of their of their offering. They just switched parts. And their manufacturing cost on aluminum frame was down to like in the 20s when everyone was up in the 50s to, to 100. And more, right. and they, they they came out with with uh, so it, 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 Trek and Specialized who were paying attention to these things, and I was I was in their in their community for a period of time and knew knew what they were thinking. Um, realized that they were getting their their shorts handed to them on their bottom line by yeah. Canada deal, and not only that. 
when you have a three-inch Coke can as a down tube to put a two-foot-long logo of your brand on it, and your brand doesn't show up on an inch and an eighth down tube in, a, in, in the average person's perspective, you start feeling emasculated as a brand. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you've just described marketing in a nutshell, haven't you, there, really? <laughs> so... So there's what happened doesn't have anything to do with technology. It was about billboards appeal. It's a yeah, advertising appeal. Yeah, at the time it was it was marketing that changed that changed the entire industry away from steel. It was an insecurity complex that came over an industry starting with specialized in Trek and and which was you know doing they were the big boys the. the the uh, the big players at that time, and it and it swept and it kept swept sweeping, and that's what you know the toilet bowl looked like uh, in the steel world. So there was there was you couldn't give the stuff away, <laughs> <laughs> and so you threw it away. It was it was horrible, and all the things that I knew that made steel valuable and. And all the things that we've talked about so far in this interview didn't matter. I didn't have a big enough microphone, a large enough company, as as well as I was doing. I was the lone voice, and everyone was off to the races with aluminum, and uh, in search of the in search of the of the uh, the intoxicating size of their logo on a down tube, which was now very large. And so that's 30 years ago. Yeah. And, and they're still intoxicated with the size of their logo on a, on a large down tube. It just doesn't have to be aluminum. It has, it's, it's titanium or it's, uh, it's carbon fiber. Everyone loves an aero profile yeah. down tube now, don't they? I mean, Trek tra- yeah, went, went massive with their logos recently, didn't they? Um, yeah. So basically you, you have uh, back to the beginning point of this yeah. kind of, huh, essay into into the, the the marketing side and the demise of technology in the bike industry um you have a very competitive narrative that isn't going away tomorrow mm. as good as steel can be or could be and will be at some point hopefully crossing my fingers it doesn't have the size of the billboard first of all no. <laughs> if we don't give up on the billboard size, steel is going to be, you know, steel is just going to be bouncing around in the backstage of the cycling world. And, um, and, and my hope, and one of the things that I've, I've done is, um, is I've more and more invested into new tooling, new steel tooling and ways of, of evolving logic tubing that that uh that builds on knowing how knowing the areas that i can improve upon it and um and uh and bringing back some of the science the more the more of the science behind heat treatment application and forming a forming of materials and asking companies to do things they they've never done before even though those companies are in taiwan and, and other places that that um and it's just it's just because they're being nice to me, actually. Just such a long history of working with me that they're that they're saying, Yeah, 
okay, we'll do this, Mr. Ritchie, for you, because we like you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that's the thing is like that you have steadfastly stuck to producing steel frames continuously. I mean, it's been 40 plus years, you know. I mean, yeah. Ritchie is probably more well known to a younger audience for high end parts, spars, stems, et cetera, et cetera. But those steel frames still still sit in the range you know and the you know legendary road you know le legendary bikes like the road logic the swiss cross um and you know more recently they've come the updates to the outback making a really you know funky adventure gravel platform and and then the, the mountain bikes etc um so you must still have faith in the in steel as a material and and as ash touched on earlier you know the rise of things like nams and over here, we've got the bespoke show and, and the whole kind of handmade community. Steel, to me, seems to be having quite the renaissance, you know, at both the high end and the sort of um, affordable end as well. You know, we, we seem to be in a in, in a in a period in the you know, 25, 30 years I've been a bike journalist. I, I haven't seen this much steel, new steel, around since I started, you know, writing. Um. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think that what's, you know, what's what what you're saying, what what I'm saying, too, is, is that um, no matter how, how much they try to kill it, it's not going away. No. And, <laughs> and there's enough people that enjoy the multifaceted aspects of steel once they discover it, whether it's from a from a one off manufacturing perspective that you can craft and create and uniquely makes things that you are looking for a certain result and value out of the riding experience you can't do that with with carbon no i mean there's very few companies like calfi that that will take your order and do anything with it other than you know other than very you know very hands-on carbon makers out there. There's very few of them. Mm. Um, so the uh, so the world of of making good steel bikes is is a is a is a big draw to um, to a lot of people. There's um, there's an uh, there's a read, there's very little uh, in in my conversations with people. There's very little known about the things that I'm talking about when it comes to material, fabric, manufacturability, forming, and, um, and the, unique, the unique manipulation capability of steel. And that's, that's a, that, that there's, a, there's a loss about that. And I, um, I can go on and on and on about that. And it, people's eyes roll over. They don't even know why logic tubing is logic tubing. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 why they still they still miss it when it comes to the unique formability characteristics that you can build into steel that um that that sauce is that i mean that formula is is is, is one of the things that it's, it's really wonderful for me because i know what the reason why someone will you know constantly show up and say wow this, this bike this steel bike just it works it rides right there's things about it that I've just been discovering more and more as I ride it. And, and, and it, there's a reason for that. There's a reason because when you optimize steel, um, 
and you and you make it to the point that it's that it you know it's it's not too light um it 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 lasts it, it lasts the right amount of lifetime <laughs> i'm not going to say it's un, unbreakable or anything because everything breaks yeah yeah um there's a value to it and and you understand um uh, the the ride benefit well the ride benefit qualities it, there's an optimization that comes from how you how you how you process the tubing how you butt the tubing the the things you don't see the un the unseeable the no seams let's just call them the no seams mm. <laughs> on the on the steel on the steel um, kind of menu the no seams are are there and um, and I'm still really, really excited about the no seams because it, because there's people that that look at a piece of steel tubing and it's a piece of pipe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is the it is the opposite of a piece of pipe, um, and uh, so that's that's the joke of 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 steel. My whole life is is the people that walk through the door that love my workmanship and still call the tubing a piece of pipe. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Tom, you when you, I'd I'd like to you know put a phrase to you very quickly. Um, steel is real. Now, am I right in thinking that's your phrase or one that you coined or adopted in the past? I've got so many things that I've said. I forget which I've said what I've said at this point in time. So this is the, I think this they, is the one that does the rounds at the moment in the UK. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's. It's pretty much how I felt, yeah, and said something to that effect from the beginning, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I suppose if if someone if someone's in the market or looking at a in the market now and they're thinking, Do you know, I want to give steel a go, a bit like I, a bit like I was, um, yeah, you know, in the not distant past, um, you know, what what kind? Everything's an optimization, of course it is, but you know, what kind of what kind of overall characteristics is someone would someone can someone have out of a, out of a, out of a steel frame bike that they might not necessarily get out of a an alloy bike or a, a you know a, a, even a titanium bike or a carbon bike? Yeah, um, well, uh, as the things that you know, I, you know, they're going to get when you. That's a great. It's a, it's a kind of re, in a reductionist kind of uh, way. They're going to get at this day and age a very high value bike for what it does. Yeah. And um, to me, when you're when you're talking about the you know the, the bike is, a, is 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 much bigger than the frames. Of course, the frames are what everything gets mounted to. But when it comes to a bike, it's 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 much more, and and um, the equipment that you put on it, and and has has a lot to do with mm. the overall ride quality, and and when you make a good decision on on the equipment, and and you're and you're looking for an affordable bike and something that is still light and under twenty pounds, um, there's there's a there's a ride quality that you're going to get that you're not going to experience in a normal sense, uh, at that, at that price point. Um, and even the ride quality at that ride quality. And so, 
just just to kind of back up, the reason why carbon fiber works yep. is the same reason why aluminum works. And that is you can play with the weight ratio of any material to a point based on based on the formulas of, of tubing diameter and section thickness and and uh, and the um, and the and the specific gravity of any material mm-hmm. and and so carbon fiber um, has to be big if it's going to be light and as soon as you go to that point as, you, as soon as you optimize carbon fiber which means that you uh, is uh, you you make it larger and larger and larger in order to make it um, something that is uh, that is going to make it um, uh, the right stiffness to uh, to suffer impacts and other things at that magic point <laughs> for carbon fiber it becomes so stiff and so rigid that you give up the ride qualities yeah and and this is not something, this is not rocket science. No. But very few people understand this. They can experience it when they jump on a steel bike, but no one comes along and helps them and holds their hands and says, look, this is the reason why this is happening. And, um, and so aluminum does a very poor job at this for a lot of reasons. Um, so the ride qualities of aluminum are very similar to carbon fiber because the diameters are very similar. Mm-hmm. You don't have the weight benefit. You have most of the weight benefit, but you don't have you, you don't have it like you have in carbon fiber. But you have all the downside because the diameters that are used are the diameters that you give up ride quality. And that's just the simple physics of it. Yeah. And if you tried to go lighter, if you tried to, if you tried to chase after, if aluminum tried to chase after carbon fiber in, in the weight game, gain, game, <laughs> <laughs> what you would, you would end up with is a failure yeah. because aluminum fails. So really every material has a, a unique specific gravity has a specific um, strength to weight ratio and has a has a ride quality component that most people don't know how to calculate it's no, only we, we try to describe it don't we when we review bikes and so on but even but that's quite that's often quite a quite a difficult thing to do right yeah, but it's it, it, it is it, it is something that if you were talking to Einstein, he would do a better job at at explaining it than I than I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. But it's something that as as an engineering minded guy like I am, a right brain, I, I don't I don't do the best job explaining it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people that do better jobs at at explaining a lot of things than than me. I tr- I'm trying. I'm just I'm I'm limited. <laughs> I can just basically say, um, 
believe me, trust me, there's a, there's a reason why this steel bike feels better. And, and, the, and the basic math on that is, is that the diameters. Yeah. If you go down in diameter, what happens? You absorb energy in a, in a shock environment, in an impact environment. You absorb energy. And, yeah. and the bike is absorbing energy every second you're riding it. And the question is, does that energy, is that, is that energy negative, a, a negative consequence on your, on your riding enjoyment? Or is it positive? Mm. And there's a reason why they don't make springs out of aluminum. That's like 101. <laughs> there's a reason why they hardly ever make a spring out of carbon fiber. They do, but they're expensive and they're unique. Yeah. There's a reason why they make springs out of steel. And so the whole point of this is, is that a spring absorbs energy and it releases energy. Yeah. And it's a very efficient material to make an, 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 an elastic structure out of it and not break. And so that's the other thing. It's just like you're looking for a material that gives you absorption of energy, release of energy, and not breaking. And so steel, when it's used at the, at the right diameter, which is very, very small and very traditional looking to a lot of people and doesn't have the Cannondale billboard effect on, on, on your manufacturing decisions, um, you end up with the ride qualities that people, people can notice, people can notice. And so, um, there are, you know, there are all these ways of, 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 uh, of, of kind of telling the story, but the, but the best one always seems to turn out to be, I wrote it and I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I can explain it from a mat, from a material science perspective and a, um, and in 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 less ways to a, from a from a value perspective in terms of the manufacturing cost and everything, um, and um, and I think that you know if you if you edit this right, hopefully you'll you'll end up with something that helps your readers, help people that are listening to this understand steel and why steel is different and why steel is real. It's not hocus pocus material. It's been around for the longest time of any bike material. Yeah, it's real because. It is on honest pizza, <laughs> and it and and that's and that's a crazy way to kind of describe it. But we live in a very very you know storytelling narrative marketing driven world that most people don't understand honest pizza. So, and this is probably going to be my final question for our for our for our chat now, mm -hmm. um, but. If you had one piece of advice to someone who was thinking about investing or, or buying a, a, a steel bike or going for down a, a steel root frame and then building a bike up from from that steel frame, would I, I'm assuming because you kind of said it already that you would you would you would you know advocate someone get out and try a steel bike and see and feel what it feels like? Is that would that be accurate to say? Yeah, you know, you have to you have to, you know, ride it in the conditions environment and stuff that you you're going to like to ride it in. Mm. And um, you know, just like every bike, every bike is designed to be ridden 
Um, I mean, every bike is rideable for the most part. Uh, even a Flintstone bike is rideable, but, um, but the main thing is if, if I lived, if, if I, if I changed where I live mm. and let's say I just, I, I became a person that ride in, that, that lived in, in, you know, Holland or whatever. And all there was, was flat. I would have a different bike. Yeah. There would be a very, you know, wide range of, uh, of choices that would work for me. But if I live in Moab, Utah, or if I live in, in, uh, in the hilly parts of, of California where I live, um, my, my range narrows mm. and, and it's, and it's really important for me to pick the right bike carefully. Um, and so if you like, if your focus is, I mean, I really like the concept of a one by concept. I mean, it's very, very important to me personally. And that's a, that's a whole different story. There's a lot of people that don't have 50 years of riding experience in their legs. They don't have the skill set to basically jump on any kind of a bike. And so how new you are to the sport and, and your choices is, is another big factor. You want, you want, in the same way the mountain bike kind of opened up the world to a lot of people that weren't cyclists before the mountain bike because they didn't feel like they had to get to know a, a drop bar 10-speed bike that had down tube shifters and, and brakes over, you know, brakes designed a certain way. And, and they didn't feel like that those, those things were safe and they felt safe on them in the past. Now, now there are bikes, there are so many bikes that you could actually get on right now and you feel safe. You, you feel like you're riding something that you've got control over. And, um, and you have to develop that. You have to, you have to start at the right point or your starting point ends up being your ending point. Mm. and for years the starting point before i started in the 70s the starting point was the ending point for a lot of people and god bless what's happened in the last 50 years regardless of aluminum and carbon fiber and all the things that 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 have a, a kind of come on the scene with marketing value and, and importance for growing an industry and the e-bike and all that mm. there's a lot more starting points than there are ending points and that's a good thing. I think that's a perfect a perfect point on which to end. I I, I really do. Um, hmm. Warren, have you any further questions for our esteemed guest? Um, I, it's just a ridiculously nerdy question. So, what bike are you riding right now? What bike are you heading out on today? Uh, today, I'm going to be out with the marvelous Martha on the tandem ah, in Santa Barbara. That. You seem to be tandem riding quite a lot. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. You know, the tandem is, is a phenomenal uh, piece of technology. And and people don't realize, the, the, well, it, it's actually becoming more and more used and accepted and, and people are discovering the tandem. But um, my history using the tandem, and I'll just segue this, is, is, is that, okay, first of all, Martha's not a cyclist, and she came to me not as a cyclist, and, and it gives us all, this, all the advantages of riding with 50 years of experience for both of us. And so we, we do things and, and have times and enjoy things that would have never been possible on two singles. Um. Well, I can tell you, our deputy editor is uh, is a big fan of the tandem as well with with his partner. So uh, he'll be he'll be very glad to hear you say that. 
Yeah. Well, the other thing about the tandem is the tandem for me, as you can see from that image I sent you from Palo Alto Garage in 1974, the tandem for me was important because there was no way. I mean, all those, all those same factors were, were motivating me, even though I was racing as a, as a, as an, on the national team, I was riding for enjoyment on the tandem. So there's, but the thing about the tandem that's changed is, is that that tandem had traditional rim brakes, had traditional gear sets, had traditional chains. All the parts on that tandem were normal parts, and no one has, and no one at the time had had figured out, you know, um, how to make the tandem the way it is today, with disc brakes and gearing and all kinds of things that have to do with with just the safety side of the tandem. Mm. Uh, until, until, and here comes the e-bike. And what was the first thing to break on an e-bike? That was a chain. Yeah. Chain. What's the first thing to break on a tandem? Yeah, it's going to be the chains because there's so much more force going through. First thing to break on a tandem is a chain. We were Shimano's chain tester before the e-bike. Wayne Statna would send me chains and and I'd break them and he'd send, them, send me another one and I'd break them and and uh, it wasn't until the e-bike that they created a chain that I couldn't break. You're not still trying, are you? <laughs> well, well, it happens. So, so you know, the, the the unique thing about a tandem is is that it's a product development test bed. There's nothing you're you're not going to break a wheel faster, you're not going to break a chain faster. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that are super important to uh, dynamic study that are off people. They're not going to break a fork faster. There's certain things I don't want to play with. Something I want to play with, but there is all kinds of reasons why a tandem has been a part of my history, part of my career, from the very beginning. And it's and it's basically I get to I get to the point where I'm testing things in an accelerated way, and I know that my my dad is real. Tom, it's been fantastic talking to you, and uh, I will draw it to a close there. And then I just wanted to thank you very much for joining us and taking the time to sort of take us through the your 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 and your company's history and your your honest, very honest and candid thoughts about where we are today and how we've got here and where. You know, steel was steel was at its heyday, and and you know, the potential of it coming back, and so on. I found this really fascinating. So, honestly, thank you very much for taking the time out, to, especially early morning over there, to come to to join us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, I'm sure we will talk to you again on another subject at some point. I feel very confident. About I think, that. We, and we almost have to, don't we? I think, I think we do after this. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll listen to back to it, and we'll probably have like, oh, there are about five more podcasts we can record off the back of this, but. Um, <laughs> We'll we'll get back to you, Tom, about that another day. But um, look, thank you very much again. And uh, yes, well, I'm sure we will talk again down the road. To our to our listeners who are listening, um, be sure to join us for our future pods on frame materials. They'll they'll be coming soon to provide your provider of choice. Um, and if you have any comments about this pod, uh, whether we're doing things great, whether we you know we could do things a little bit better, please do get in touch. Send us an email at podcast at bikeradar.com. Um, and of course, we really appreciate your feedback about the pod. Um, every review helps us reach the right people. Um, you know, so we we can all hear about you know steel manufacture, and I think that's that's really important to us. So do. 
do you know leave us a review and uh, you will be ever so grateful and the obviously the best way you can do that is through your chosen pod provider but that's it for now thanks very much for joining us goodbye thanks for listening to the bike radar podcast if you've not done so already please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode 